I am so excited to shout out the proudly queer and Jewish business Nerdy Kepi and their Kickstarter, Historically Queer. Historically Queer is the first set in a series of enamel pins depicting historic queer slash LGBTQIA plus individuals. The series includes some D-lister favorites like Public Universal Friend and Sappho. The Kickstarter ends November 9th, so head on over to Nerdy Cappy on Kickstarter or nerdycappy.com and show your queer and history nerd pride. I put you in my pocket, push the button through the hole to lock it, hold on to you, you like a treasure, walk across my hand, it'd be a pleasure, you could come with me, you could come Hi, and welcome to D-Listers of History, the podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. My name is Vega, and I am your historian extraordinaire of the city of Philadelphia. Oh, I'm Issa. I am um, a, a. I am hoping that Philadelphia has adopted me by this time as as one of its uh, ragtag children. And, and I'm as long here as you come around on pizza, we'll consider it. <laughs> I which part of the oh about which which part of pizza which which did we have a disagreement about pizza? We, we, we had a whole thing about New Haven pizza and how it's. Oh, Not, we did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did. I mean, I have I, I have to defend my hometown, you know, yeah, when it comes to the pizza and and also the Phillies. That's I've been I've people have been trying to take me away from my Mets and I never I will never waver. That is true. Um, but that's it. Other in, in, every, in every other way, I am fiercely loyal. Indeed, and we have a guest today, which I'm super excited about. Yes, um, Lee, who is also uh, originally from the Philly area, so we got a lot of Philly going on. Awesome. Uh, Lee Wind is an author who writes stories centering marginalized kids. Closeted until his 20s, Lee writes the books that would have changed his life as a young gay kid. He writes the popular blog "I'm Here, I'm Queer, What the Hell Do I Read?" and books for kids and teens. He has written a crowdfunded YA novel, "Queer as a Five Dollar Bill." that was featured as a Publishers Weekly Indie Success Story. His most recent book, Red and Green and Blue and White, a picture book, has received five-star trade reviews. For this interview, I focused on his middle-grade nonfiction book, No Way They Were Gay, Hidden Lives and Secret Loves, which was honored at, as a Junior Library Guild Gold Standard selection and was selected for the Chicago Public Library's 2021 Best of the Best Books list. That's the first wow. time I've gotten through somebody's somebody's bio without stumbling ridiculously and that was mine so thank you yeah. yes <laughs> wonderful yeah so welcome i loved yes. this book <laughs> i Aww. i so i um as a as a fellow queer historian i have a tendency to kind of sit like in a different place than a lot of my fellow fellow non-historical gays where i'm like hey like let's yeah, they, they, they might have actually been roommates. Like, that happens too. <laughs> and so I was kind of walking into it like, okay, what's this going to be? And I loved it. <laughs> like, it's Aww. just, like, I loved it. It's so, um, what I love about it is it, it teaches you how to do history. 
Yeah, I think that, thank you so much. I, I think that history for me when I was a student was really like, it was like dusty. Even the word felt like dusty and old and boring. And it was, yeah. it was just all about these people that I had nothing in common with. And, and it just felt like names and dates to memorize. Mm. And so what I really, what the way I think about history is that I, I'm the author of the book, but really I'm just holding space, a safe space, hopefully for readers to listen to the voices of these people from the past. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things for me was primary is primary sources and, and making it very clear to readers, what is a primary source? So mm -hmm. all the primary sources in the books are, are in bold. So it's really easy for readers as young as 11 to just instantly know what's the historical person saying or what did they write? And then what's me as a modern day person sharing how I interpret it. Um, and we, we got rid of like dusty sort of footnotes and they're like these pop-up, if anybody remembers VH1 pop-up videos, it's sort of like that. Like it's awesome. like these fun little explanations when something needed to be explained. So yeah, it, it, and, and really every, every, um, everything that came up, whether it supported my point or not, I tried to include. Because I think that we do kids in particular a disservice by trying to present things as completely simplified. Mm -hmm. And if they know that real people in history were complicated, then I think they'll, they'll feel like they have permission to be complicated themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And actually was one of the things I thought you handled really well in here. Um, when these people did not behave well. Oh yeah. They're, they weren't perfect. <laughs> who who for an example i i i'm blanking on somebody now i'm just flipping through the book looking for oh the lieutenant nun was was really hard yes were, yes oh my god fascinating. So tell me tell me about this person oh my okay gosh. so six, 1600 um uh spain uh this person was born and raised as a born with a female body raised as a basically raised in a convent to mm -hmm. be a nun, mm -hmm. um, escaped on their 16th, when they were 16 years old, um, took their nun outfit and basically sewed it into pants and a shirt and made their way to Central America as a soldier, as a, as, as a male soldier, kind of embodying the worst elements of toxic masculinity. Wow. They became like a, a gambler, um, a, a soldier, you know, who bragged about all the indigenous people they killed. Yeah. Um, they actually murdered a few people that I guess were Europeans. So it counted as murders in that case, not as, you know, the celebrated killing the indigenous people. Yeah. Um, so messed up. Uh, but it was like, it was so, and then they got caught for one of the murders and uh, they confessed that they weren't, that, that, that they didn't have a male body. And then it became this huge scandal. And on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, they became famous. And they published their autobiography. They got a special dispensation from the Pope to dress as a man for the rest of their life. It is, and the story is remarkable and their autobiography was published. So we did have a lot of really good primary source uh, material. They were, 
you know, self-aggrandizing, of course. Yeah. So you got to take it with a bit of a grain of salt, maybe, uh. maybe a barrel of salt. But, <laughs> but and, and the more I read about them, the more disgusting they were. Like, the, what a mm. horrible, like a person that did such horrible things. Mm. And at the same time, they were faced with such a, a, an intense dilemma about how to live their life. And yeah. they, they lived their life completely outside the gender, the norms of what gender were at that time. And I think there's a liberation in that, in recognizing mm. that, okay, this person may be perceived as someone that did a lot of terrible things, but in their self-determination, there is something admirable in that. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I really struggled, like, do I include this person in the yeah. book? Like, uh, do I want to give fodder for the people that are like, queer people are terrible. Right. Um, queer people are awesome, by the way. Uh, and I just thought <laughs> that I, it, it goes back to that idea of letting kids know that like, it doesn't like we are everywhere in history, even in the terrible, you know, colonial massacres of indigenous people, we are everywhere. Yeah. And it's kind of good for us to know and, and, and humbling too, right? Like not everybody in history was perfect. We know that. I mean, I, it keeps coming up in all the things I write. It's like, people push back on the idea that important people in history were queer. And I'm like, well, how is it possible that everybody important in history was, was, right. you know, a cisgender straight white man from Europe who was able-bodied and wealthy. Like right. that seems pretty improbable too, statistically. Right. This is remind, this is, I, I commend you on tackling that, um, especially for kids, because this is so important that every, I feel like this is my, my little sister showed me her, history textbook and I was like and and the other like last year and I had forgotten that this is how my history textbook started too like for a U.S. history it's so common for it to just start with like Columbus for some reason and just and like and 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 then her history textbook doesn't even like it makes a completely complete non sequitur between Columbus and like everything else because they feel that need to start with Columbus because that's like the standard and you have the, starting from this super young age, this idea that like there are, we just look at these heroes of history. Um, and this goes into like, I do design history and architecture history where it's like these human beings become our, like this pantheon of gods. And then suddenly we have to quote unquote grapple with like the bad things that they did. And it's like, we wouldn't have to grapple with it if we talked about it this whole time. <laughs> and it's so it's so important to get that started early for kids to know that adults and kids, you know, especially adults are complicated humans and can encompass tons of multitudes. So I don't know, this is this is really exciting. And I, I commend you on 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 tackling that in this in this book. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it really also models how we deal with that because at that age there's a lot of black and white thinking and so mm -hmm. showing how to how to do that like how we can say like I can see that this person existed and that makes me feel good about the fact that I exist mm -hmm. and you know murdering people not great let's not do that um I I when you mentioned with the you know, making these people like a pantheon of gods. I love bringing up the apotheosis of George Washington in our Capitol building where it's like literally George Washington yeah. ascending into heaven. <laughs> um, and I, 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 I bring it up in my tours. Like I call it out because 
it's that is that is what a lot of these people are in our brains mm-hmm. and people get really really defensive mm-hmm. when you start trying to make those people who are gods into people speaking of which one of the folks who i'm not gonna lie i was surprised by this i was surprised by so much in this book i felt like such a bad historian um lincoln like it's pretty straightforward it is way more straightforward than i thought it was huh yeah it's it's astonishing how much evidence there is about abraham lincoln being in love with another man um and actually i just want to say that one of the things that i really realized when i started talking about my book and about discovering all these men who love men and women who love women and people who love without regard to gender and people who lived outside the gender binary is that we do this weird thing in American culture of playing CSI history. Mm. So if I'm going to talk about Lincoln being in love with another guy, the response often is, well, can you prove that Lincoln had sex with another man? I'm like, I'm not Mm. talking about sex. I'm, I don't know what they did. I know they were roommates for four years. I know they shared a bed for four years. That has been told to me that that was very common at that time on the frontier. I think you could make an argument that Springfield was well, but not that other the frontier. Guy, like, that other guy walked out of his bedroom wearing his shirt. I feel like that's pretty clear what was probably going on there. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think that when we really think about was was he in love with – was Lincoln in love with, with um, this other man – then I feel like we actually have evidence of that and, mm. and quite a bit of evidence. And mm. I, I found out about it because I, I didn't come out. I'm gay and I didn't come out until my 20s. Um, and about it, but I dated girls in high school and college and grad school. And I just kept feeling like it was, I judged that it was the right thing to do. It's what my family wanted, my, my immigrant parents, what, what my culture wanted. But I didn't feel what I knew I was supposed to feel. And I kept wondering, would the feeling come? And then I finally got honest with myself and everyone else and came out. Ten years later, I went to a talk. And this guy was talking about the letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote Joshua Fry Speed that convinced him that Abraham was in love with Joshua. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't believe it. I was like, Abraham Lincoln's on the $5 bill on Mount Rushmore on the penny like he is this legend, right? The founder of the Republican Party. Like how, no, I, I, how is that possible? But I couldn't get the idea out of my mind. So I went to the library and I got out a book, a very slim volume called um, the, uh, Joshua Fry Speed. Oh no, I was like, is the it the int- Intimate World? That's another one. <laughs> no, it was, it was for, published uh, in the 1920s, I believe. It was the mm. intimate, uh, it was uh, Joshua Fry Speed, uh, Abraham Lincoln's most intimate friend or something like that. Um, and I was, and I didn't like history, as I said, I thought it was really boring. So I was, I, I just skipped the whole opening part and I went right to the appendix, which is the second half of the book, the letters, because I don't want to hear what other historians, I don't want to hear about the historians. I want to read the letters. And I just randomly flipped open to a page because again, oh, it sounds so boring, right? History. I randomly flipped over to a page and I read this line and it's Abraham Lincoln asking Joshua Fry Speed. Are you now in feeling glad that you are, as well as in judgment, glad that you are married as you are? Mm. And I was like, what? So mm. I went back and I found out. So Abraham and Joshua lived together for four years. Joshua moves back to Kentucky and marries this woman named Fanny and basically has a nervous breakdown along the way to that wedding. And, and all these letters back and forth between 
them where Abraham's trying to convince him that he does love Fanny. And then eight months after the wedding, Abraham writes in this letter, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are? From anybody but, anybody but me, this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated, but I know you'll tolerate it from me. Please tell me quickly, as I feel very impatient to know. We don't have the answer, but we do know it was less than a month later that Abraham married Mary Todd. And to me, this was like the goosebump moment that I was like, oh my God, yeah. I, don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't pose as someone as great as Abraham Lincoln, but oh my gosh, there in history was a reflection of me, of, of a, a guy that was that like liked another guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I was very inspired from that point on to start really digging into the research. And there's so much evidence um, even Lincoln's giant depression that historians generally are like, we don't really know why he got de- so depressed on January 1st. It's a complete mystery, but it was the exact same week that Joshua told him he was moving back to Kentucky and leaving wow. the bed that they shared for four years and going wow. and marrying Fanny that same week. So, you know, historians are like, yeah, you know, Lincoln really struggled with depression. And there's even like I quote in in the book, there was this letter that Lincoln wrote where he's like, you know, I'm now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Right. Like and they're like, we don't really know why he's so depressed. And they're like, uh, hello, if you connect the dots here, people. <laughs> happened that week you know wow i i'm literally did okay i'll tell you i did not know of any of this until we're just five minutes ago and i'm mind blown like absolutely mind blown yeah and that's how i felt because i was like wow if abraham lincoln could be in love with another guy then what else are they not telling us and this is is where i got really excited because it's this whole facade of history that needs to be torn down. And it's not just our queer stories. It's the stories of women and people of color and disabled people and indigenous people. It's everyone. It's like where I get excited is that it's a liberation for all of us to, to recognize that the history that's been handed to us in these history books is kind of a a fabrication Mm. designed by the people in power to to solidify their claim to power. And, mm-hmm. and we see the battles happening everywhere, especially like in Florida, where they don't even want to teach oh. African-American history. And they want to be Gosh. like, you know, slavery was beneficial to the slave. It's like, oh, what yeah. the heck are you talking about? Yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's like, who tells the stories? So I, what I'm hoping is that, I think a lot of books are about history are very prescriptive. Like everything you ever need to know about X is in this book. That's not what my books are. My books are like, this is an introduction. This is like, this is like tapas, like get excited about history and then go, go explore on your own. Like we can access the primary source materials. So much is available online. Like all of Gandhi's writings are online. So I spent weeks reading over 200 letters back and forth between Mahatma Gandhi and Herman Kallenbach. Um, wow. The German Jewish guy he was in love with. He wasn't it, the love affair of his life was not his wife Kasturba, who he married as a child. They were, I think, both were under thirteen. Wow. Um, it was this Jewish guy, and that was so. That was the most exciting moment in the whole. Well, yeah. there were so many exciting moments, but I get really excited because I did all this research on all these people, and I was like, "What interesting footnotes about history! This is really interesting." But it's kind of 
like a side a side thing, right? It's a footnote. Like, oh, Abraham Lincoln was gay. That's interesting. Um, you know, I guess gay people care. Um, you know, or Eleanor Roosevelt was in love with another woman. Oh, okay. I guess lesbians would care. Um, like, but for me, that reading all those letters, that was my aha moment because mm-hmm. what I dis- what I realized was that if Gandhi, if the love of Gandhi's life, if his soulmate, and that's his term, not mine, if his if his soulmate was this Jewish guy then maybe the fact that Gandhi was the one that, that said, and I'm going to quote here from this, because uh, it's just, it's too good to mess up. But, um, you know, Gandhi said, uh, let people's religions be different. You worship a being, a single entity as Allah, and another adores him as Kuda. I worship him as Ishwar. How does anyone stand to lose? You worship facing one way and I worship facing the other. Why should I become your enemy for that reason? We all belong to the human race. We all wear the same skin. We hail from the same land. Like that was this huge moment in like in humanity, right? Like in, in, in human beings recognizing that like, hey, we may be different religions, but we're all sort of, we're all praying to the same God. We're all, it's all connected. We're all connected. And I think that if you, look at that in the context of knowing that he was a man in love with another man who was a different religion, that feels causal or at least relevant to that breakthrough. If you look at Eleanor Roosevelt's relationship with Lorena Hickok and, you know, decades long, thousands of letters back and forth with each other, these romantic, beautiful letters. And very much we actually can CSI history a tiny bit because one of the letters is like, you know, I miss the north, the northeast corner of your mouth against my lips. Like, okay, that sounds pretty physically romantic. Um, if we look at the context of what happened in Eleanor's life, once FDR died, she and World War II ended, she became a, a special ambassador to the United Nations and led the, the movement to, for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Would she have been able to do so? Would she have had that compassion of of, of character if she hadn't been a woman in love with another woman? Mm. I think, again, it's like you, it, it makes things make more sense. Lincoln, mm-hmm. it makes his whole life make more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets very exciting. And then you look at, you know, someone like Hatshepsut, who was a pharaoh in Egypt that ruled for 22 years and like, basically changed their public presentation of gender over those 22 years from being perceived as like the 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 wife of the king to being the king to being mm. co-king and you can see the statues it's amazing like the statues yeah. they change they like in their pictures in the book of of photographs of the statues like the beginning portrayed completely as as a woman and then in the middle sort of in between you know uh, gender uh like a like no shirt, but not really breasts. Um, and then, uh, and not really a chest. And then the finally, like it's totally squared pecs and shoulders and, um, you know, false beard. And uh, it's, and then even in the Egyptian art, like it was very common for men to be painted, the images of men to be painted red because they were Mm. outside and the images Mm. of women to be painted, I guess, noble women to be painted yellow. And there's right. in, in Hatshepsut statues, there's actually a progression from yellow to orange, which was a color that nobody used in Egyptian art, 
to red. So you can even see this sort of like gender journey um, mm. in the art. And like, that's really cool. And I think that everybody gets all up the, you know, well, everybody, there are people that get all like, what's well, all this new gender stuff you all are talking about this new generation. It's like, well, it's not new at all. It is thousands and thousands of years old. And if we can connect young people today in particular, knowing that they have legacy, I think that it empowers them to recognize that like they deserve a place at the table today. And then I think if they know they have a past and they know they have a present, they can, the future is infinite, but they're trying to colonize the past too. So that's what we have to fight back against. I love that. Um, I, I really like what you said too about the, this isn't the terminology used, but it's sort of the common senseness of like, you look at, Lincoln's depression and it's like this huge thing happened in his life is this really that mysterious and it's something I tell my tour guides when I'm training them a lot is like if you hear a story and it sounds I always say if it sounds too cute look it up because you know it'll be because it's 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 just like think like people in the past weren't stupid like people in the past were people just like us and uh if you close the shutters over a window they didn't suddenly like not know there was a window there and like you know it's just this is this like taxation history in philadelphia that is a pet peeve of mine um (laughs) yeah and i i i I guess i want to like sort of ask you like i i think that's important because i know when i was reading up on baron von steuben um one of the things that like kind of stood out to me is he was he was accused of um it's not pedophilia but it's the word pedophilia when it only refers to young pedantry? boys. I don't right. know. I would you could say anything to me. I'd be like, yeah, sure, okay. that sounds right. Um <laughs> but the the point is is that's why he left Europe. Like he didn't care about, you know, the rights of people to self government or any of that. Like he was unemployed mm. and then he was gonna get arrested if he went back to any of the German states. And mm. Um, this, and and it's, it's interesting because people, I, I, the book I read said like, oh, but you know, this was clearly like he had, you know, he'd pissed somebody off or whatever. And clearly this was this. And I was like, but this, this happens to gay men all the time. Like, and it doesn't prove anything, but it just like, had that gut thing or like his friendship with Hamilton and Lawrence. It's just like, I was like, man, queers, we hang together. Like, (laughs) well, and so for people listening, Von Steuben was the guy that came to, uh, to basically train the revolutionary army of America's revolutionary army. He probably would have lost without him. Let's be real. (laughs) And most, many people believe that. And there's even like a Von Steuben, Ben Steuben parade in some in I don't know if it's in Germantown, Pennsylvania, but like there's uh-huh. definitely like he's he's feted for that, and they completely just omit the fact that he was gay, very gay, and like yeah. had gay parties, and <laughs> he like showed up to Valley Forge. Like everybody's like, I mean, imagine like the the muck farmers from Monty Python. That's what I think of Valley Forge, <laughs> that first winter. That's what I think of, and. Von Steuben shows up and he's wearing like a huge feather plume in his hat. And he's got like the fanciest outfit he could like find in the city of Philadelphia. And he's got like 
a bunch of like fancy little designer dogs and like yes. he just rolls up to camp and he I like know. doesn't speak any English yes. and he just like <laughs> looks at Hamilton. He's like, yo, you speak French. Let's let's, let's go. Do it. I don't know if <laughs> it doesn't prove it. anything, but man, it. <laughs> It's so great, though. I- it's a great detail. I don't know if you've seen the drunk history version of this, but the way they acted out is hilarious. And he, they they have him like dragging a bunch of like dog stuffed animals, and they're like they're like all like <laughs> little dogs, do- designer dog stuffed animals, and it's amazing. So I guess my question really <laughs> is: is where do we, as as queer historians, where is that line of like? You know, sometimes you read something and you're just like you said, like you read it and you're like, I know this feeling. And Mm. where is it where it's like, you know, sharing a bed with another man in Lincoln's era was not the weirdest thing. A little weird to do it that long when you could afford your own place. But like. It it wasn't unheard of. Right. And, And I think that that's when we just have to be honest about what we what we know and what we what 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 the evidence is. And what, how we interpret it rather than declaring that we've figured it out. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. that's where it's important. Like you lay out the evidence, including the stuff that doesn't support your claim, because that is really important. And you talk about it, like in the chapter on Sappho, um, I, I didn't really know it, but when I just, you know, Sappho was famous. She lived thousands of years ago. She actually, that's where we get the word lesbian because she lived on the Isle of Lesbos and she was famous for loving other women. And um, she, uh, 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 I'm losing my words. I'm sorry. Uh, Where was I going with that? It was, it was. Of like the, the things that we kind of can just, kind of gut understands and but recognizing i guess that sometimes our guts aren't right historically oh yeah i'm sorry yes (laughs) including contradictory evidence so like sappho's poems were almost all about her love for other women and there was one poem about her love for a young man and it was of course used by a lot of historians to be like Mm. ha ha she wasn't a lesbian she was really truly this was the true love of her life like the vast majority of the surviving work shows that that her primary emotional relationships were were with women and obsessions were with women. So, but I included the poem about the infatuation with the young man because it's interesting. It's it's a complex thing. And, you know, I think it's up to readers to decide what was she, would she have identified today as a lesbian? Would she identify today as bi or pan or like it? I don't think I need to put that label on her, but clearly she was a woman who loved other women, which is why I use the categories I used. Mm. Um, And Sappho was really interesting too. This was another like, so the org, I was thinking about von von Steuben and how I didn't include him in the book. I did some research on him and I was like, ooh, it's it's a lot of like white men from Europe. He's not a slam, yeah, it's also not a slam dunk, to be honest. Yeah, and I was sort of like, oh, what do I include? What do I not include? And I ended up trying to be very diverse, show that it was like, Queer people were across time and around the world, but also the unifying principle in my mind was surprise. Like if mm. I, if my jaw was on the floor finding <laughs> out about it, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I think I need to put this in the book. I love and I that. Just, and doing all the research, I must have said, no way, they were gay like a hundred times. And finally <laughs> I was like, you know, that's not a bad, that's not a bad title. So, yeah. um, so Sappho, I had one of those moments also because I'd heard of Sappho. I think many people have, many people in the queer community at least. Mm-hmm. So 
what I what I knew was that she was a lesbian or she was a love, a woman who loved other women. And I knew that she was a poet. And that's kind of all I knew. But when I dug into it and started to read some of the adult analyses in the adult history books, Dr. Christine Downing gets the, the shout out for this. Mm-hmm. One of the surviving poems that Sappho wrote was all about how so Sappho was like a rock star of the time, right? Like the, the poets at that time were like Lady Gaga and, you know, Madonna and uh, the Taylor Swift all in one, right? Like they didn't write, you know, they didn't sit demurely and write their poems in a, in a, in a poetry book that got sold in bookstores. They weren't bookstores. They weren't poetry books. They wrote it. It was not even written down by her. She performed them. She had a musical mm. instrument that was stringed and um, L-Y-R-E. I don't know how to pronounce it. Liar? Liar. Um, what is it? Liar. That's how we pronounce it in music history anyway. Liar. Okay, I'll take the music history yeah. and <laughs> answer on that. And, um, and, and performed it like spoken word poetry, like beat poetry. Like it was, it was a performance. Sappho is, we have a handful of poems that survived almost intact because, because she was a woman in love with other women, their work was systematically destroyed um, pretty horribly in many, many times. Uh, mm. We have one poem that is incredible because it talks about how all the other poets at the time said that the most beautiful thing on the earth, the most powerful thing on the earth were basically expressions of toxic masculinity. Uh, you know, a fleet of warships, uh, men marching off to battle, uh, cavalry racing to, the, to charge. And Sappho wrote this poem all about how she knew that wasn't true, that the most beautiful thing on the dark earth was actually the face of the woman she loved, Anactoria, flashing radiant. Um, mm. Because she'd rather see that than all the force of Lydian uh, chariots in full display of arms. Mm. So that poem really resonated with people and you can trace kind of a through line from that poem to this the legend of sleeping beauty that was written 800 years ago in france all the way to the disney movies today that end with the kiss of true love breaking this evil spell and the culture that we've really inherited that if you stop anybody on the sidewalk and you'd be like what what's the most powerful thing in the world they're probably going to say love Right? Like we all believe in the power of true love and we all believe it because Sappho was brave enough to say it all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And the fact that it's been kind of disconnected from the fact that it was because she loved another woman that she was so into it, like that that she had that insight. For me, that was a jaw drop moment. And I was like, whoa. And history just starts to open up like this rainbow flower, right? Like it gets so exciting. Oh, that is beautiful. The funniest thing, I guess, for me as all like a newcomer to like hearing these stories is that um, at least at least these these ones that we are talking about right now is this um, is that I feel like I've always heard Sappho because I, I was around Bryn Mawr a lot. So Sappho, I've only heard about her in like the queer context. If it's like this is like this is our our you know you know queer great 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 grandmother, um, but I, I what I didn't know is just how significant like her poetry was to um, to to like our you know like to Sleeping Beauty and to all of these like incredibly um, incredibly powerful tales that we're still obsessed with, and um, I think almost like in my mind, oh, and this is probably you know, my inner, you know, 
inner for lack of better words like hegemony or kind of like view of like all these things it's like oh you know we must be like picking up on this on this person who's who is relegated to the side of history but like we're obsessed with her because she's gay and on or queer and these kinds of things um but to now to hear that it's almost like the other way around like no like she is like she was central and the fact that she's queer the idea that like sappho being queer would be relegated to the sidelines just because i've heard of her so much in that in that context is like i'm like oh my gosh i feel coming at this like this is there's this whole other side i didn't know um i'm yeah this is this is this whole thing is blowing my mind long long story short (laughs) yeah I love but that. I, Yay. Yeah, I know. I love that thought, though, of like, it's her being gay wasn't the most important thing. That was just a part of what she was doing. Because right. I was and, the same way. The- like, I learned about Sappho and the Gay Straight Alliance. Like, I, <laughs> like, I, I, when I read this book, that was, this was the most, because I also don't do that era. So I was just like, cool. I, I was like, oh, yeah, Sappho. Sure. That makes sense. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought she was just well, writing down about love and ladies. <laughs> and it wasn't and it and what's so cool is that it's not just that she was gay, it's that her being queer actually empowered her breakthrough. Yeah. Right? Actually mm-hmm. empowered the enormous impact she had on our world. Yeah. Like I that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah. Like that's when it all just started to be like, ooh. Wow. Yeah. Well, and yeah. you wonder about that too with Abraham Lincoln because he was far from perfect when it came to things um, around like black liberation and so forth, but he was able to be convinced. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that could be a piece of it too. Like when you're outside mm. the norm. Absolutely. Did it I give think him it's easier, compassion? Yeah. And I or think it's like, easier yeah. to be able to think that maybe I don't have it right. Cause I know all these other people don't have my thing. Right. Yeah. And this is, I'm sure all of us can relate to as Jews, and we see this in Jewish history time and time again. There are those of us that did not stand up, did not fight back, but look at, but on the other side, look at how many of us were on the front lines of the labor movement, how many of us did stand up during civil rights movement, because there were those of us in the community that recognized, no, we're, we're in this together, like, this is and and the Jewishness becomes a huge part of that, um, and and um, and I imagine like you know in a different way, but a and then queerness, but a, you know another kind of identity marker um, or an identity where you're you're recognizing you know we're we're just not going to all be free until until every single one of us is. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean. I was I, I was I was gonna kind of change. I I'm wondering um, about rumors. This is sort of pivoting. So I'm sorry. <laughs> so there's, but I'm really wondering where how you how you dealt with this because I don't know how I deal with this. Is when there's rumors around somebody. So we just did um, Sister Rosetta Tharp, and um, I didn't go deep into, you know, the primary sources or anything. Um, so there might be more there than I know. Uh, but the impression I was getting was like, there were all these rumors that she loved another woman. And I don't know what to do with that. You know, like, cause there's a, a piece of like, you know, sometimes rumors exist cause something's going on. And sometimes people are just being mean. 
So yeah, I guess my question would be like, what do you do with that as a historian who's trying to kind of like, they say it's not CSI, but at the same time, sometimes it kind of is. You're trying to figure yeah. it out, like trying to find these people. I think that, I mean, you have to, you have to explain the context, right? That, you know, what would be the penalty if it came out that they were, this was like what we did with Shakespeare, right? Like I try mm-hmm. to give the context, like if it was known that he was a guy in love with another guy, like he would have lost his lands. He would have been killed. Like it was not a good thing in that, in that 1500s moment in England. Um, and then, you know, I, we were lucky with him. We had 158 love poems, 126 written to a Oh, that guy. shocked me. I had no idea that those were all written to a guy. <laughs> all yeah. like all the so, sonnets he said, like all of them. Not all of well, them. Well, 126 like, were written to a guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, other, the other 30-some were written to a woman. Um, and uh, But they're very, I think, very autobiographical. Like, you know, yeah. two loves of I of comfort and despair, which like two spirits do suggest me still. The better angel is a man right there. The worser spirit, a woman colored ill. That's the opening, I think, the sonnet 144. Like, wow. he's really right out there. He's like, I love this man. Yeah. I love this woman who's probably not my wife. Um, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's really clear. When wow. it comes to rumors, I think, you know, we can share, but we have to be, just be really transparent about what we know and what we think. Um, I, I know there are a lot of uh, historians that feel like, especially for the folks like queer people that don't get our histories told generally that sometimes all we have are rumor. Mm. Um, and so if we don't include it, then we're, if, I mean, if we're, we're abiding by the same criteria of every other, you know, enfranchised group, then we're just not going to have any history at all. So I don't think that's the answer, but I also, I just feel like we just be transparent and we share what we know and why we know it. And we can then share our interpretation like, oh, yeah, it would make total sense from my perspective that this and this and this would add up. But I think we need to show our math, right? Show your work, like mm-hmm. the, the teachers used to say in, in math class. I love yeah. that idea of showing your work. And that's what I really, like I said before, but I really love about this book is it shows its work. And that doesn't just matter as far as like, you know, being able to shoot people down who are going to go after it. But also this is this is how we should be doing history for everybody. Like, regardless of who they are, this is, this is how you history. Um, and it's really neat to see this in a context that is understandable to a, you know, a, a, a kid. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think that like, because in a funny way, it's like, if you give them the primary sources, then everyone becomes a historian. Yeah. Right. You're not a reader. Yeah. If you read my book, you're not a, just a reader. You're a, histor- you're a historian. You're, you're being asked to interpret the historical evidence yeah. and make your own call. And maybe you completely disagree with me. That's totally cool. Yeah. Um, but take a look at the materials. That's what I think is so exciting, right? Like it's, like it's an invitation to rethink the history we were handed and choose a history that matches more reality this is inspiring me to go to start reading more primary sources just in general because there's so much fun like i i'm also i think i'm 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 totally with you where it's like there's a there gets to a certain point where i do also just 
in still today, as someone who works with history all the time, I get fed up with people's uh, just like kind of boring, sometimes boring, sometimes exciting analysis of primary sources where and then when you get to like, I have, I highly recommend to everybody slightly different topic, but something I recommend there's a there's a it's a compendium of um, of of little essays by called radical I think it's just called radical Jews. Um, but it's just it's in a red cover. And it's just um, Jews that were like, labor leaders and like, anarchists and communists and all these types of things. Um, and it's just so fun. It's so much more fun than like, uh, than like, two, like, you know, 100 years later, like, yes, there were lots of people in the square doing this thing. Instead, it's like, some like, it's some like labor leader being like, the rally was so awesome yesterday. Like everybody was in the square and the Russian Jews were really annoying, but they were right about a lot of things. And like, you know, and they were saying like, they're such nerds and I'm so glad I'm one of them. But like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they're hilarious and they're so much fun. And you can draw so many more conclusions when you're just right there with like what somebody freaking said. <laughs> yeah. You know? And they seem so much more human, right? Going back yeah. to that. These aren't gods in history. Like it's just yeah. people. And, and yeah. they're, they're human just like us. And that's yeah. really inspiring. Oh my gosh. Reading about how Emma Goldman like kept getting lost, like when trying to find her relatives, like in the Lower East Side, it's hilarious you know she gets there in the end it's like i'm stressed out Emma. <laughs> i'm stressed out too <laughs> but, yeah and something you do in this book that i think is important with that of when we give primary sources to kids is mm. just translating the hard words because this i know this has come up um i write lesson plans sometimes for uh groups that are coming into the city so that you know so they can prepare and something i spent an absolutely inordinate amount of time doing that i feel really strongly about was rewriting primary sources in today's language sort of like i can think of it as like translation mm. of like and it's and you have to be really careful obviously just like you do in translation mm. um because i know at least working with a lot of colonial texts as i do a lot of young people would look at that and they're like what is happening the s's look like f's there's like all these weird conjugations we don't use anymore. Like, and I thought the, your book handled it really well of being like, okay, here's this weird word. Here's what this means. Here's what the context is. Um, right. And here's what, and actually some books are, were so old that they repeated the, the word at the bottom of one page. And then they repeated it at the top of the next page. So it looks like a typo, right? To us, wow. but you have to explain it because otherwise they don't understand what, why are you doing that? Like, oh, they, they did sloppy work. It was, huh. it's very exact. So. Yeah. Primary sources are difficult and they're fantastic yeah. and they're surprising. Um, so. And I, I just yeah. have to say that I'm really, so when I, this book came out a, a little over two years ago, and the, one of the things I'm really proud of, I mean, and it's been, it's gotten on some banned lists and it's gotten some, uh, it's gotten some negative. I mean, I'd uh, be proud of that too, honestly. Comments. <laughs> but, but the thing I'm really proud of is that in, nobody has been able to say that none of it is true. Mm. Like nobody has come and been like, Lee made this quote. Up. I didn't make up anything. And it right. is, it is right. watertight. And right. I feel like after two years, somebody would have called me out if there had been anything that wasn't 
Yeah. Um, and so I'm just super proud of that. Like, like, cause yeah. I, and, and actually I was so nervous about the Lincoln chapter that like yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the quotes in the Lincoln chapter have multiple citations. Cause I was like, you can yeah. find it here and here and here yes. and here. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking <laughs> with my like editor. And they're like serious business citations. Like, I yeah, yeah. love it. I'm going to, I was talking with my editor and I was like, I really want, this is the thing that's going to get examined the most. And I want to show that it is widely available. It's not just in some random book. It's, it's everywhere and look at it here and look at it here and look at it here. And it worked. So that was fun. Yeah. And it's, I, I, this book is so important. Um, I love like just to bring us, bring us to, to the end. I want to sort of call back what you said about if we, if we as queer people know that we have a history and a present, that means we can have a future. And I think, especially in this world we're living in today, um, Issa and I, unfortunately, uh, we're both in different ways, sort of up close and personal with the uh, Moms for Liberty group when they came to Philadelphia. And um, I'm sure they're not big fans of your book. Um, mm. And <laughs> uh, it's- That was hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, it's so important for kids to be able to just- have some sort of hope to get them mm. through. Mm. I mean, that was like the old Trevor project thing of like, mm. it gets mm-hmm. better. Um, and I just, you know, would encourage all of our readers. Like if you've got any young people in your life, like this is worthy of giving them. I mean, leave it in the bathrooms at your local evangelist church, you know, like whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> if they can leave Bibles everywhere. We can leave this book everywhere. <laughs> um, but Yeah. I just wanted to circle back to something that you said, Isa, that I thought was so right. Like we're not free until we're all free. Like that, that idea that, and the person that most blew me away um, was um, Bayard Rustin. So he was an openly gay black man in the civil rights movement. He was the guy that organized the March on Washington. He was the guy that taught Martin Luther King Jr. about non, non nonviolent protest. He was interviewed in, um, in the 19 in 1986 and he was asked you know do you have any advice uh for other black gay uh activists and i'm going to read you um i I just have to share his words um i think the most important thing i have to say is that they should try to build coalitions of people for the elimination of all injustice because if we want to do away with the injustice to gays it will not be done because we get rid of the injustice to gays It will be done because we are forwarding the effort for the elimination of injustice to all. And we will win the rights for gays or blacks or Hispanics or women within the context of whether we are fighting for all. I absolutely adore Baird Rusted and and his history is so overlooked, um, especially as many organizers are. The organizers are often behind the scenes scheming. uh, But he's also wrote so many incredible things that were very public facing um and one of them one of them being from protest to politics which is an amazing um essay one that he calls for basically the creation of he notices that community centers where different people come together um across so many different walks of life and well are welcome and it's not always a comfortable space it's not always a perfectly a perfectly happy space because to do community organizing, you have to get into tough discussions with people. But he called, he noticed that across the South, across the North, everywhere, the places where the civil rights movement was the most booming was when these 
commute these quilting circles, these community centers, these barber shops that had all these different people coming together. Um, this was where things they got the most done. They got the mo most people on the ground. They were ready to go. And so he is such an inspiration, I think, for us when, you know, we're like I, I do we do some work with like, you know, broad based community organizing where we're trying to get very, very different people together in the same room um, and try and try to hash things out. And it's not a very popular I, it's online and there are online leftist spaces. And, you know, it's something that is technically not something that's talked about very often. But as you start talking about it, people actually yearn for it. They want to meet more of those spaces. People are tired of the echo chambers. They're tired of you know, not being able to be accepted with people that don't look like them, people that don't act like them or have the same religion as them. People are tired of all of that. And Baird Rustin, um, that quote that you shared was just so beautiful and makes me really emotional. And um, I, uh, I, he's just, he's definitely one of those, um, probably not a perfect person. I don't know all the things about him, but, um, but it's, but we don't have to look at him up to him because he was a perfect beacon in every way. We just, have to look at the the things he these things that he said and these things that he did um the march for jobs and freedom yeah he was amazing yeah it, it was really yeah. it's so inspiring he also said you know also and okay so this is talking about the irony right like so in 1986 i was a student at the university of pennsylvania in philly and i was so closeted i didn't even know there was a gay center at the university which at the time I'm sure was just called the gay center. I don't know, mm -hmm. but, um, but uh, Bayard came and spoke in 1986 uh, at the university. And I just kind of think, oh, if only I had known, if I had gone, I wouldn't have been brave enough to go. But like, it was amazing. So I, okay, one more quote. <laughs> All right. Um, the fact of the matter is there is a small percentage of people in America who understand the true nature of the homosexual community. There's another small percentage who will never understand us. Our job is not to get those people who dislike us to love us, nor was our aim in the civil rights movement to get prejudiced white people to love us. Our aim was to try to create the kind of America, legislatively, morally, and psychologically, such that even though some whites continue to hate us, they could not openly manifest that hate. That's our job today, to control the extent to which people can publicly manifest anti-gay sentiment. He could have said that yesterday. Yeah. Right. Like that yeah. is exactly the position we find ourselves in because the, those years of Trump being our president really moved our country to a place where we need to fight back so we can make it so people don't feel like they can openly express their hate. Yeah. And to, to all of our groups, right, to, to being to being Jews, to being queer, but and to everybody else, too, to women, to, it, it's everybody. It's 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 really that idea, like, how do we get back to where legislatively, morally, psychologically, that people cannot openly manifest their prejudice? Mm. That's the challenge, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I think just talking to people, like, it sounds so flip, mm -hmm. but I've had so many conversations with people in the Deep South um, when I go on these shape note singing trips. Um, with Issa's partner, um, yeah. <laughs> Issa's partner and I are old friends from summer camp, um, which is the most Jew thing I could possibly say. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when they start 
it was this was back in when family values was the was mm. the buzzword. Mm. And you know, when I would talk to these to these folks about like, you know, what does family values mean to you? And they would talk about like, you know, stable place for kids to grow up and, you know, those sorts of things. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what that's what we want. Mm -hmm. Like same. Yeah. Those are also my family values. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's I'd like to think it had a difference. Um, Yeah. You want people with respect, they give it back sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, you can't you can't always count on it, but it's amazing the stuff that can happen. Um, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's also amazing. Like you know, we we sometimes focus on the negative in a way mm-hmm. that you know, like I mean, some of the negatives are shocking, right? Like, but like the fact that Magnus Hirschfeld had an institute in Germ in in Berlin. That was all about queerness and queer history. And they had a a library with thousands, I think 10,000 volumes of like books from all over the world about queerness. And then there's this famous sort of image of the Nazis burning books in in the opera square that is really famous. I've seen it. I've seen it a lot being Jewish. I've seen it a lot. And yet nobody talks about that. It's the entire library from that institute being burned. Because the I guess I have been wow. irked that nobody ever told me that. Wow. Like, me too. Like yeah, I grew up, like, I grew up in a town where we learned about the Holocaust every single year. Yeah. We saw that picture a lot, and no, not even the slightest indication. Wow. But that, that and in the book, I have a primary. I won't read it because it's kind of traumatizing. But oh, like, no, there's a yeah. first-person account of that institute being ransacked, and at one point, one of the the person telling the account turns to one of the people that's like tearing down pictures on the wall and breaking doors like aren't some of this isn't some of this of the medical nature and the person was like oh our goal isn't to destroy a few pictures our goal is to destroy the institute like like to just end it so like but at the same time like okay so that's the flip that's the negative but on the positive like it was amazing that there was an institute for queerness in berlin in the 1930s in the late 20s and 30s like that's really amazing Yes. Oh my gosh. My, I have a YouTube friend, Kaz Rowe, did a, a, I think recently on queerness and the Weimar Republic. Um, and it was very fun to, very fun to watch. Um, and this is, this is the, the era Bauhaus comes out. This is the era, and so many of the Bauhaus students are queer and so many of the stu- the, the professors are queer. And it's just, I, I wonder if it's, I would love to, to ask you, is this something, and I, and like to, in order to talk about is d- talking about these kind of cycles in history of where there is incredible liberation and then, you know, horrible things that happen after that. Is it on, you know, does it mainly give you hope or does it mainly, you know, make you feel complicated about these, you know, you know, I, I guess I wonder if it's mainly a, a hopefully mainly hope at this point, particular moment but um yeah i don't i don't how do you um i think we talked about that for a second before but yeah i'm generally optimistic and i like to think that we expand and then when we contract we're not contracting quite as tight as we had been before Mm -hmm. and that each expansion Mm -hmm. is more like the moral arc of the universe is is long but it is going towards justice to uh, quote obama quoting dr martin luther king jr 
But um, yeah, so I try to be hopeful. I mean, it is yeah. definitely hard to live through these moments of, of uh, contraction or mm-hmm. the, the pendulum swinging, but I don't think that I don't, I, I think ultimately we will win because I just, I don't think we're going back in the closet. I mean, the, yeah. those of us that feel safe and can be out and they can't, they can no longer get to where I was, where when I was a closeted 11 year old, I literally thought I was the only person on the face of the earth that was a guy that mm. liked, liked other guys. Mm. And it's very hard for a, an 11 year old today to think that yeah. um, in terms of the media, but also just in terms of access to the internet. And it's just, so yeah, so we just keep doing what we're doing. A quote that I think a lot about is um, Anne Lamott she wrote a book about writing called Bird by Bird. And in it, she talks about how lighthouses don't run all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand mm. there and they shine. Mm. And I think about that a lot. Like, I'm not going to convince everybody in the world that I'm right and they're wrong about history. Mm. I just want to shine. I, I found out all this cool stuff and I just want to put books out and let them shine. That's so beautiful. So good. Oh gosh. <laughs> ah, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm gonna take that with me for this little. This little, This is a bright moment in, in my week, for sure. Thank yes. you. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for putting this stuff out in the world. Like yes. it's just so important and so good. Um. So plug plug your stuff. Oh yeah. So um, the book we've been talking about is called No Way They Were Gay. Hidden Lives and Secret Loves. It's available everywhere books are sold. Uh, it's from the publisher Learner. So for you teachers and librarians out there, you'll recognize that publisher. Um, they are very um, well uh, respected. So um, it's all true. <laughs> and uh, you can find out more about me at leewin.org. Uh, I'll just want to share a quick plug. When I found out the thing about um, Abraham Lincoln loving another guy, I thought, ooh, that is not only just a good, interesting chapter, uh, in a in a nonfiction book, that's kind of a cool novel. So I wrote a novel called Queer as a $5 Bill because Lincoln is on the $5 bill. Um, and I actually, um, because No Way They Were Gay uh, was banned in a few places, I, um, I crowdfunded that novel. So I own the rights to it. So I actually made it a podcast. So you can search for the Queer as a $5 Bill, the podcast, and every, the whole audiobook is there. Um, every chapter is an episode and then there's some bonus episodes that include the Lincoln chapter with all the evidence of Abraham Lincoln loving another man and in since we couldn't bold the text in, an, in a podcast um, I got some actor friends to do the voices so um, yeah check it out everything's at leewin.org awesome thank awesome. you so much thank you I so appreciate the opportunity thanks Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. D-Listers of History is a member of the World Podcast Network. Head over to nycpodcastnetwork.com and give the episode a like to help our rankings. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit in her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes TikTok at Delicious of History, no hyphens. A big shout out to the folks supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content, which is primarily stickers these days, uh, become a patron. All of this and more can be found on our website, delistersofhistory.com. Again, no hyphens, just swish it together. Our episodes release every other week. Our next episode will drop November 13th and will cover the self-professed medium, Mina Crandon, and feature the goth folk musical duo, Charming Disaster. And now for an episode-relevant audio drop. 
why don't you come to America and fight for us? And von Steuben's like, look, I already got kicked out of Prussia for being gay. I'm okay here in Paris. It's okay to be gay in Paris. And Paris is like, not okay to be gay in Paris. We're about to kick you out. And von Steuben says, check please. 